All right, welcome back into another outstanding edition of the official 615 podcast. We're back again alongside my good friend Greg Pogue. This is Big Joe, and welcome again, Greg, to, to the show. And this week, another outstanding guest. Last week, I was your best friend in the world. So, yeah, you slipped down. Yeah, I, I, that's fine. As long as I'm in your top 100, <laughs> that'll be cool. Yes, it is. It is the official 615 podcast back once again at the Omni Nashville Hotel, Kitchen Notes, and be checking out the Kitchen Notes in Omni Nashville Hotel. There's going to be new hours in the new year for all of their Macara Spa, for Bar Lines, for Bob's Steak and Chop House, and certainly Kitchen Notes. So look for that. And want to thank again Music City Todd Rotermill for just opening up and letting us have uh, have this uh, the wing of the right. Kitchen Notes. We feel special. Also, again, many thanks to Wilson County Hyundai for their sponsorship. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. I tell you guys, each and every week, you see a lot of Hyundais around Middle Tennessee. Chances are a lot of those cards came from Wilson County Hyundai because Payne Bone and his staff do it right. They do it correct. They want you to be happy. Simply check out the website, wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Demetria Kaladimas. Demetria, I uh, printed, I Googled you, by the way, uh-huh. and you have things out there. <laughs> and uh, the one with the Lipscomb, I printed off. And it leads with beloved Nashville journalist and former longtime WSMV anchor, you. And I think, well, beloved part. Beloved, they lead with beloved. That's what they they led the news. That's a news story. Beloved. So it must be true. Well, (laughs) do we trust the media? Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for doing this, first off. Oh, thank you. And And it's kind of cool that you guys, I think, have the only street-level live broadcast right now there's no one making faces behind us that's right like the today show but it's it's early (laughs) but uh uh, what are you doing these days oh what what am i not what are you not doing um you mentioned lipscomb i'm this year's professional in residence at lipscomb and that means um a little bit of teaching a lot of mentoring um odds and ends emceeing doing things just being generally involved with the school of communications there you know how you get a gig like that you have a really great ex-boss <laughs> who calls you up one day and says, hey, you want to do this? So Alan Griggs. Thanks to Alan Griggs. I'm over there. And it's really been, it, it's been a learning experience. You know, everyone thinks, oh, teaching, no big deal. You know, I'll just go in and share my knowledge. And boy, there's a lot of prep and there's a lot of surprises. And it's, I, my hat's off to teachers and I don't wear a hat. <laughs> right. And I got to think that right now, uh, good journalism professors are needed more than ever. Amen. I really do think so. And especially people that have been in the trenches, you know, and have have worked out there in the industry because it's not a theoretical sort of thing to teach. And that's where I think some of the um, stress has come on me. You know, you do things because you've done them for years and it's like an automatic rote sort of thing. Explaining why behind what you do is a little difficult. How do you unteach what they've already been taught? Uh-huh. Like how do you teach <laughs> broadcast style writing versus term paper writing? And we've been working on that since moment one of the class. And I was so proud at the the last final day I threw opening sentences at them in a real passive sort of academic sort of language. And they came right at me with the broadcast lead. So if I if I accomplish nothing else, <laughs> they'll be writing that way. But I also told them, I read recently where um, uh, folks in the legal field are also saying writing in that active sort of conversational broadcast style is helping people win cases when they write Ooh. briefs. So it's, you know, it's less million dollar words and more direct communication with the people reading. Well, and today, when I was doing it earlier, 
you know, you had just print, broadcast, radio, boom, that's it. Now there's so many ways people can sample their news. They can go and read everything they believe or believe everything they read. They can do anything they want to do now. And, and so there's more opportunities. However, there's that means I think there's people less prepared. They just, you know, there's people doing podcasts like us and everything. We're prepared, okay? Mm-hmm. Trust me. Oh. But uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No now doubt. There, there's the access to media is unlimited now. And the tools are so accessible and cheap. You don't need million-dollar equipment anymore to call yourself a broadcaster, right? So, and it, and it keeps us on our game, though, at the same time, because people are out there innovating and coming up with new styles and coming up with things that are popular, and you're crazy if you don't see what works, especially with the young ones, right, with you're, the younger folk. Absolutely. Let's ask this, you know, with the job at Lipskin, what you're doing now, did you ever – see yourself doing that? Did you want to do that? No, I kind of resisted it, to be very honest, because I thought, well, I'm going to fold right back into active journalism on day one. And that hasn't happened, but it will be happening. I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, But the the teaching thing, I thought, do I know enough to do that? Um, Am I can I communicate what I want to communicate? And especially starting with um, students that are very much beginners, that's I think more difficult than someone that's like a junior or senior and on their final project. I totally agree with that. Yeah. You, you, when you came here, what year did you come here? 84. 84. Uh, when you started here, of course, with Dan and everybody that was going in there, when you, did you see yourself here long-term as like oh. two years and out? Yeah, I was three and gone. Right. <laughs> and then I ended up 33 and gone Wow. in a way that I didn't expect. <laughs> but you know, this town has a way of taking you in quickly Um, making you feel like it's your home. And now it is, you know, I've lived here longer than I have anywhere else. And I just, I really, really like the people of middle Tennessee. When did you know this was it? You a year in, two years in? I think when I didn't have to buy a shovel and I threw away my winter (laughs) coat, you know, and we didn't have own a snowblower. No, Uh, probably about five years in to be really realistic. And I had a couple of really decent offers through the years. I love to tell this story because it shows how, how bad I am at making decisions. Um, uh, somewhere along the line, I'm thinking early 90s maybe, ABC was starting, all the networks were starting these all night long things to compete with CNN. And, you know, these poor people that were up at four in the morning anchoring with no one else watching. Well, got flown up there, got offered one of those all night long on ABC gigs, and I decided, no, I like Nashville too much. I think I'm just going to stay put. And guess who took the job? Anderson Cooper. So, not that I'm saying I would be Anderson Cooper, today, right? But you know, it was a springboard for him. But in the, back in that day, though, it was the springboard. I mean, it was oh, yeah. to get up there for you not to do that. That took some personal inside thinking of yourself, like, what am I doing here? Exactly. And like, do I want to really, I, I want to live in a, in a house that I go back to every night. You know, I don't want to be one of those hotel kind of people uh, living. Yeah. And I just kind of knew that that was not my thing. It might've been for a couple of years and you know, hindsight, whatever. <laughs> it's whatever. Genuine human productions. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Genuine human is my little, not so little in some ways production company that I started in 2000. Around 2000, I thought that the sort of stories that I wanted to pursue on television weren't being done. 
either subject matter wise, lengthwise, stylistically. You know, there are a lot of stories that you simply cannot delve into in a minute 20. So I thought, well, I'll just start my own thing. So I did, you know, gather together a little cookie jar money for equipment and started doing documentaries on my, in my spare time. And I've been doing it ever since. So what is this? Almost 22. So 22 years. And Genuine Human is, is a great name. Um, the late, great Will Campbell, uh, philosopher, theologian, brilliant man. Uh, if, if listeners don't know anything about Will Campbell, look him up. He uh, was working with me and a couple other people at United Methodist Communications. We did a once-a-week show called News Odyssey, which was way ahead of its time. It was covering religion as news. Um, anyway, Will was there once a week to do commentary. And so we'd spend time in the green room, you know, and, and talk and stuff. And he had written a, a book that I just devoured and loved. So I brought my copy one day and I said, can you please, you know, sign this? I don't want to be germy, but sign this. And he wrote in there to Demetria, a genuine human being. And I thought, man, that is high praise. <laughs> right. If I ever have a company or any reason to use that, you know, I'm going to do that. So in a way, it's perfect for what I do because my little sort of tagline is real people and true stories. Genuine human. It's 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 long for you. Know, I hate to use the word long form, mm -hmm. but in, in in print, it's enterprise type stuff. Yeah. But anyway, but it, you you're not limited by the parameters of print. They could only be so many inches, or no, exactly, or, or on broadcast. And it's like yeah. if it, most of my stuff have been quirky, weird, very Nashville centric stories that would. Sounds like Joe it. Dubin. <laughs> Quirky he and should weird. be my next subject. Right. Huh? Quirky, weird, Nashville. <laughs> you tick all the boxes. Um, but it's been it's been a terrific creative outlet. Um, so for a long time, I was doing you know in all of my spare time, genuine human stuff. It, in addition to Channel Four, you know how many hours a week? I I hesitate to even count. Right. And I'm still doing genuine human stuff. I've got. So many pots on the stove, it's a little ridiculous. I remember you fighting for time, and we worked together at Channel 4. For, I'm going to mention it, it's like the core civic story. Yeah. And, you know, you needed, like, I never forget, it was like six minutes long. I remember, like, wow, it's got to be no longer than two minutes. And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking, who, who set the parameter for this? Right. These dumb-ass consultants that come in and don't, here I go, Dimitri, I'm going to go down this That's path. That's all right. And I'm thinking, they don't know storytelling. They just see, get in and out, get in and out, move on, move on. And you had this wonderful story, and you fought tooth and nail for it. And I was like, let her tell the story. I did. And we ended up with a compromise. Okay, and this is me and my negotiator best. If you won't let me have six minutes in a row on one night, let me have three nights of two minutes on the same thing. Oh, no, no one will be interested. We're on to other things. <laughs> you know, I beg to differ. 60 Minutes has been in the top ten of Nielsen since like the day it signed on. Right. And it's 50 plus years old. So if people can't, if their attention span is really that splintered and that short, why is 60 so exactly. incredibly um, important and to this day sort of the gold standard? Is part of you when you're doing these documentaries on your own, part of you because you had been beaten down like I was in the TV world, like, oh, man, we're at 12 minutes now. And then you're like, wait, wait I can go as long as I want. Exactly. <laughs> I cannot tell you the freedom. But then I also rein myself in and say, okay, 
I have the luxury of going as long as I want, but I'm going to have someone with really discerning eyes and ears look at this and say, eh, it's dragging, or, you know, you could cut that, or I don't always listen to them, of course, Greg, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, your opinion is, you know, at least acknowledged. You mentioned, uh, obviously, Channel 4, the great run there, all the awards, mm. just the way it ended. A lot of people, it's a very, very public ending. Yeah. And to this day, I mean, I've been off since December 4th of 17 in my infamous Grinch exit where I, all I left was a coat hanger in my office. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it, there isn't a day go by where I'm walking down the street in Walgreens, whatever, and people say, we sure do miss you. We loved you. You and Dan were the best. Whatever happened to Bill Hall? You know, I mean, these sort of things that just you'd think would die out after a while. And it's, it's, it's kind of wonderful in a way that it hasn't. Because my husband said, you've got to feel good. Every day someone wants to come up and say they miss you or give you a hug or whatever. I said, well, you know, that's Middle Tennessee is what it is. You know, after you left, uh, I was still there. We would go by, and I'm being totally serious, we'd go by your office there in the corner and we would Nobody would go in. We'd stand out like it was the jungle room at Graceland, right? We'd all look in there and say, look at that over there. And nobody would go in. They would see that. And it was just a time of like, how could they let this happen? And yeah. I know you can't get into a lot of this. Specific, and I understand that. But from us looking in outwardly, inwardly, thinking, how could this happen? And especially, let me add, that they had been through the untimely, shocking death of Dan Miller my longtime great partner, one of my best friends I'll ever have in my life, certainly. And the difference then being when Dan passed away, and you'll remember this, Joe, his office was kept like a museum, even with his Jersey Mike napkins for like two full years. They yeah. just closed the door and said, okay, we don't want to touch it. So fast forward a while, and it's like, you know, it really speaks volumes, I think, about what they how they regarded the tradition. Yeah. And we had, excuse me, Rudy has done this. Mm -hmm. We've had, he was one of our early guinea pigs for the official 615 podcast, but he's told the story in Augusta and Dan in his neighborhood oh. and Terry, oh. Terry Bulger was there. And, and it was funny because Miller was just bugging me all week. Like, I can't wait to go to the masters. It's going to be so great. I can't wait to get to Augusta and walk the streets of my own neighborhood. And it, it was, we ribbed each other all the time anyway. So I was like, the last thing I ever Facebook posted to him, because we were kind of new on Facebook right. at that point, was, I hope it was everything you dreamed it would be in just talking about this, you know, yeah. anticipated trip. And then I thought to myself, wow. You know, in a lot of ways, I'm glad my dear friend, that was the last thing I ever publicly said to him, even though it was a rib. Right. You know, no right. one knew that I was being sarcastic, but, and I think it was, I think. I mean, I think he had a good life, but boy, we could use him today. You oh, know? I know. Where were you when you got the news? Sleeping. Um, middle of the night, Karen called me, his wife. And I mean, it, it seems so surreal. I thought to myself, surely I'm having some kind of bizarre dream. Yeah. And she said no. And I, I got in my, in my car, pajamas, you know, sock, stocking feet, and went straight over to their house just to proved to myself that this was real. And then um, the, as the morning went on, and I'm talking early morning hours, I think maybe 6 a.m., like the morning show people were calling saying, you've got to say something. And 
And I asked Karen if that was okay, and, and literally that's how how Nashville got the news. I can only imagine. When did... And I was insistent that I have a hand in the coverage because sure. I knew what he would not like. You know, we had talked so often about our own particular quirky broadcast taste, and we ended up doing doing something that I think reflected him. One of the pieces that I said, I said, let me just take a camera and go around his office and comment on all the little things that you see and how they relate to Miller. And for years, people said that was the most wonderful, understated sort of obit. And I thought Miller would have done this for me. Genuine. Yeah. Yeah. What does your office look like? Oh, (laughs) remember my office? Yes. It was crazy. I mean, I've always been a collector of sorts. My husband will use that H word hoarder, Mm -hmm. which I I totally disagree. Um, But I, and today, to this day, it's just loaded with interesting little things I've picked up all over the place. I'm I'm constantly adding another shelf. I had a collection of bedroom slippers that would, you know, rival anyone's and just goofy stuff. And years, it took me a couple of years to sort through all the stuff that was my office and all my files and stuff. And some of the crazy stuff I have, I've got like an NBC News board game that I found at some (laughs) flea market. I've got my Mickey Mouse ears that say DK, you know, stupid stuff like that. But it it brings back. How many slippers do you have? Ah, I'm I'm down at this point. I used to have at any point in time and people would bring them to me after a while, too, because literally I never wore shoes in the newsroom. I just wore those probably had 12 pair. You know, sort of like Rudy's sweater, yeah. right? Yeah, but you didn't <laughs> exactly. Slippers. Oh, we got to watch. You came back in with the Cubs in the World Series in 2016. You'd come back to the sports office, and we'd hang out there. Oh, you just, you just had to get away from the well, newsroom. Like you're walking many times. Well, back you're a Cubs fan, obviously Illinois. Oh, lifelong. Right? I've seen three no hitters in person. One time when we were going to Wrigley um, as a family, we four of us kids, 18 months apart, so we were basically all four the same age. Um, I'll never forget it. We were headed towards the turnstile and a $10 bill floated out of the air in front of my face. And I grabbed it. Do you realize like at the age of about seven, what 10 bucks was? Oh my goodness. And my dad was like, good. You're buying everyone hot dogs, (laughs) which, which I did. You got 10 bucks there. Uh, You're listening to the official 615 podcast brought to you by our our good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Check them out online. WilsonCountyHyundai.com. Payne Bone and his staff do an amazing job there. Customer service is number one for them. Check them out online at WilsonCountyHyundai.com. Dimitri Kaladimas is our guest. We are doing this at Kitchen Oats Omni Nashville Hotel. You mentioned your husband several times, Verlin Thompson, yeah. songwriter extraordinaire. Absolutely. How did, how did you guys meet? I kind of stalked him. Ah, nice. uh, let's be real <laughs> serious here. And Miller helped me in that uh-huh. endeavor. Um, but truly, I saw him play out at um, at the station in one night with the legendary Guy Clark. And the funny thing was, you guys, I was on the first date I had gone on since I had kind of a nasty divorce. So there was like two years when poor Demetria was sitting inside, you know, on Saturday nights. And trust me, every Saturday night, no one asked me out. No one called me. (laughs) (laughs) But I was on my first one and only date. And where does this guy take me? To the Guy Clark show at the Station Inn. And I proceed to ignore him the whole night because I'm just laser beamed on this guy that will become my future husband. I just thought this guy is so cute, so charming, so talented. It's the only person in this whole town I'm interested in. Game on. 
Okay. Tell us about the game. Where did you, how did you track him down? Well, for the yeah. first year, it was pretty lame because a friend of mine who worked at in one of the performing rights agencies said, oh, forget about it. He's married. You're not going to go there. And I'm like, you're right. I would never do that. So I kind of just thought, oh, that was a good idea. That'll never happen. About a year later, the same girl called me and said, I have bad intel. I think he's free and on the market. And so then, <laughs> then Miller was like, I was showing up everywhere. And he was so lame. I mean, sooner or later, guys are just, they just don't get the clue. Right. So ultimately, I had to go up to Guy Clark, who had interviewed a couple of times. And I mean, he's a big star. Oh, yeah. Amazing. And I said, will you please tell Verlin Thompson that I'd really like to go out with him? Which Guy did, apparently. He marched right out and said, go talk to her. She wants to go out with you. And Verlin was like, oh, no, she just wants to, you know, she likes you. And he said, she told me so. So that wow. was that. <laughs> I sat at the Emmy Awards and staring at him, and then we had a great conversation tonight. Just, it's, it's humbling to be around somebody, and I know he's your husband, that amazingly talented at something. And it's just to pick his brain for a couple hours, and I was a little drunk, which is fine. Of but, course. Which made it better, but uh, to be have that part of your life had to be just heaven sent, I think. Yeah, and you know, my undergrad degrees in music, I am a musician, but I'm the kind that practiced and studied and read music off a sheet. And he's totally self-taught, you know, picking out in the country. His mother and uncle taught him everything. And then he becomes this virtuoso. But the funny thing was when, when I, we first started kind of hitting it off and I told my sisters, I said, this guy is so cool. I just love him. Listen to his voicemail. He left me and I hit play. And it was like, you know, his very, very thick, oaky Southern yeah. accent. And my sister was like, please tell me that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no. And she said, you're dating Gomer. Oh, my. I love it when you meet him. And this, I don't want to go too far down because we, you know, but the songwriting process intrigues me. And you are now around. That's what he does. I know. Yeah. It's so cool, Greg. I will hear like a, it, it's. People always say, what comes first, the words or the music? And it's so random. Sometimes it's the music, sometimes it's the words, sometimes it's both of them married together. He loves to take long, silent drives. And I've learned that I can't like be DJ and talk a mile a minute because that's when he sort of starts working stuff out in his head. And he likes to say, he likes to drive without the guitar or anything because he thinks that's a crutch when he's writing. So if he's like just in his head writing, it comes out a purer song. But anyway, I'll hear a little lick and I'll hear him play it for like a year. Just, you know, as he's noodling around and then it'll all of a sudden I'll go, oh, my God, it's that song. It becomes a song eventually. <laughs> it really is. And how many does he have in his head at one time? And he writes nothing down. He rarely, <laughs> he rarely records anything. I mean, I have to write down that I'm, you know, to walk here this morning, I had to write it down. Um, he's just got... He's amazing, really. And I bet you he's written over 3,000 songs easily. Wow. And sometimes cool. he'll go, did I write that? I'm like, yeah. And, and it's I, got your name on it, I, I assume. And I think what's good about him today is that country music now is gone to this somewhere. I have no idea where. I can't it's tell. It's pop the, music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the growth of Americana, yes. which is now almost pop music. Again. They said they'd never have an award show, yeah. right? Uh -huh. Say no more. <laughs> but there's such parallels between TV and the music biz and what has transpired in the last 30 plus years. So we feel like we, we're living this parallel lives in the different fields. 
That's a, that's a great way to put it because now guys like your husband are, are, and, and their females out there as well so appreciated now that if it had been the same, maybe not as appreciated as it would be. But now it's like we search those people out yeah. because it's, it's pure and it is Americana. Yeah. Very good stuff. And he's out there on his own. I mean, nothing makes him happier. He's on there on his own with his guitar playing to people. I said, listen, don't complain. You get applause every night. Who does their job and gets applause? <laughs> I tell you who doesn't. <laughs> Sixteen Emmys is that, and and I remember Joe with his first one. He used to uh, put it in his passenger seat and, and put a seatbelt <laughs> seat around it and drive around <laughs> with it. Baby seat, yeah. yeah they, yes. they, they, and then he now he has two, three, three. I've yeah. got actually I have one, believe Fabulous. it or not. But uh, yeah, so sixteen. Wow. And, and all the awards that that came your way, any of them go. You know, this is the one that, that you know, all of them are nice, obviously, but this is the one that meant the most or, or beyond just the job. Absolutely. Um, it, very few full-time anchors that are on every single night still report in a meaningful way. I think you'll agree, Joe. Oh, yeah. It's like they go out and do promotional stuff or balloon launches or that kind of thing, but very few, like, are digging into investigating stories, and that was the reason I got into this, you know? So... The ones I'm most proud of, I won three um, investigative reporters and editors national awards, which are like super hard to win. So, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. And they were at different points in yeah. my career. It wasn't like I was on a roll and it was like bang, bang, bang. Right. It was like one in the 90s, one in the early 2000s, and one in the year that I left. But news anchors don't usually go there no. much, do they? Because no. it's a well, yeah. There's, there's a lot of pressures and a lot of expectations put on anchors. There's another sort of interesting phenomenon because you're supposed to be approachable and everyone's friend and someone that's well-liked, mm -hmm. okay? And if you're all of a sudden exposing something that could potentially get people mad at you, that hurts your likability. But I'll contend that after all these years, if you're doing your job correctly and you're uncovering something that is worth correcting... Uh, sooner or later, the public will say, you know what? Yeah, that was a tough thing, and you were tough on that person, but you were right, and you helped us. It's a great way to put that. I, 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 I see what you're saying, you know, about certain awards. You know, people come over, and they'll see the Emmy Awards, and they're like, oh, wow, an Emmy, Emmy. And then off to the side, there's a Murrow, you know, yeah. and they're like, oh, I don't care, and you're thinking, man, that's, no, no, that's no, no, the no. one. Yeah, and these IREs are basically pieces of paper. I mean, there's no, like, cool statuary. Right. But they're the ones that I'm like, if I could put like a twirling Christmas tree, red, green, blue <laughs> light on it, that's the one I would illuminate. <laughs> what was it like when you left, this, say the six months after you, you left Channel 4, what was it like? I'll tell you, the weirdest thing was my body knew exactly when 5, 6, and 10 o'clock were. Wow. I would glance down and it sure enough it'd be like a minute to five or a minute to six or exactly 10 o'clock I'm mean, that many years of being on at that particular moment and preparing for a deadline at that particular moment it was just like a natural thing and it was a little strange because that first year was a fantastic news year in Nashville I mean I say fantastic only because so many meaningful stories were happening in the mayor's office uh, you know various things and I to be on the sidelines and like not be able to go into the game, right. I can really feel for the injured athlete now, Right. you know, yes. because you're just itching to go in and you think you can contribute and you can't. So mentally, how does that not wreck you? 
No. You know, it was, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a little depressing. You know, I didn't watch TV because I didn't, I didn't want to see what was going on without me, you know, and I was sort of diving into cleaning through all my files and going down memory lane in like a ridiculously, almost like a bad way going down memory lane. And then I sort of thought to myself, you know, things are going to happen. Stuff is just wait and chill out and see what, what emerges. And sure enough, you know, lots of opportunities did. And I think I've been smart to kind of wait for the right ones. Oh, I agree. In your battle, and I'm sorry, Greg, I'm going to dominate here for one second. I'm sorry. Okay. The, your Honor, you know, you, these are actually some good questions. <laughs> for once. Thank yeah. you. Uh, how many, you know, and I've spoken about this people about consultants because I just loathe them in every shape, form, and fashion. I'm just curious, how many battles that you have with them? Because I had my own battles in the sports world, and it was toxic to me. Yourself, how many? Just numerous? Numerous. I think the most absolutely crazy ones I ever had were the, the hair battles over no one wears their hair short. Oh, God. You know, and I was like, well, I do. And that became a sort of a signature, you know? It was true at the time. You looked on the news and everyone had a page boy haircut and the same <laughs> dress and that sort of thing. Uh, I had one consultant tell me once that my nose was crooked and that I probably needed to get it fixed. <laughs> And I mean, literally, I would have made his nose crooked. He said that my nose, and I looked, I studied myself and I was like, damn, he's got a point. My nose sort of looked, turns, I mean, but no one in my entire life had ever told me that. And some dude from God knows where tells me, well, you know, I've come up with an idea. Your nose is crooked. Um, Wow. And then they just hit, they had bad advice. The best advice ever came from the people I learned from. And in my early days at Channel 4, which were basic, be yourself, learn from others and get better, don't have an ego, don't think you can't improve, and relax and be who you are. And I'm trying to tell the students now, please don't come up with a put-on voice. Because in that crazy moment when you're out on the street and something's happening live, the Mm -hmm. last thing you're going to remember to do is put on your fake voice. You know, be who you are. And Miller was great at that. He said, the camera is the greatest lie detector in the world. It can tell when people are not comfortable with one another. It can tell when you yourself are not confident. So, you know, learn to communicate with it in a a way that's honest. How did you get away with not changing your name? Oh, that was great. Um, In my first job, they, this is absolute God's (laughs) truth. About 30 minutes before I was supposed to go on the air for the first time, they said, yeah, about this name. We got to <laughs> come up with something different. You know, you got 30 minutes. And I'm thinking, why? Because my co-anchor's name was Bruce Jakubowski, and the sports guy's name was Mark Shanowski, who's still in Chicago. And they, they will reinforce this, but Caladimos was too much. So yeah. they were like, okay, you got to change yours. So I became Demetria K., did that sound like the craziest bad alias you've ever heard in your right. life? And then when I came down and interviewed for the job in Nashville, they actually bought me a plane ticket that said Demetria K. And I couldn't get on the plane. I was like, no, that's not really my name. And when they offered me the job, Bob Selwyn, who was my wonderful news director and mentor, said, hey, you got any problem with using your real name? And I was like, oh, can I please? And he goes, yeah, I think it might be cool. You know, it might, might be something that'll 
do you, yeah. you know, do you well through the years? But then I used to collect like misspellings. I had a whole wall of misspelled letters. My favorite being Dementia, California. <laughs> Demetria Caladimus, our guest on the official 615 <laughs> podcast. Uh, you, you were talking about opportunities. Let's talk about the Nashville banner. Yes. I, I was very proud to be one of Fred Russell's sports boys, and have that has opened up so many doors for me over sure. the years working. And I know when Steve Cavendish got out of Belmont, he came there, and here's this bright young, and we're all, oh, this guy's going somewhere, and he did. Sure. You know, to Chicago, to Washington, and back here, works with, with the Nashville scene and all New the York things Times. he does. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and but you guys are, quote, resurrecting the Nashville banner. Tell us about it. Right. It will be, it is already a 501c nonprofit, you know, registered with the IRS. It will be what's known as a civic news organization, a CNO, uh, which means nonpartisan, uh, nonprofit, and solely focused on local news. All the things that are not being covered. Like, Greg, when you started, there were probably 30 people full-time up on the Hill watching every single committee and subcommittee meeting so that the voters knew what from was going on from all over the mm -hmm. state. That number is now 10 <sighs> statewide. Um, Tennessean Newsroom had 180 people. It's down to 60 just in the last 10 years. So the business model is broken for for-profit news, and I— the people are better served with a nonprofit model because it becomes more fearless, right? There are no shareholders. There are no ratings to worry about. Um, it's either you're doing really solid work or you're not. So we're out there actively fundraising right now. The American Journalism Project, which is a um, really selective about who they give money to, has offered us a matching grant. So as soon as we hit our benchmark, it doubles immediately, and we've got an automatic two years of runway. And we're going to launch with a staff of about 10 and then hopefully expand pretty quickly. But we're talking stuff like intensive coverage of courts, local government, school board, state house, infrastructure, environmental stuff, Nashville. Because look what's happening out here. And so many of the stories... It's like, wow, if I had known that was happening, I would have done something or had put my voice in and, and made my opinion known. But people don't know anything because there are no reporters watching. And imagine taking that to a consultant who's based out of Denver and says, and <laughs> right. like, oh, no, that's not how they're going to do it. And then hyperlocal is where it's at. Exactly. You know that for what, yes. from what you guys are doing. Yep. Official 615. Yeah, well, it's local, local. Mm -hmm. the, the hyper local is where. You guys are hyper. Yeah. And it's local. <laughs> hyper. Uh, it well, in the local yokel. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the, Mr. Yes. Donaldson, right? That's yeah. right. To the, the core. God's yeah. country. Uh, that's what we got. I, th I stole that from Greg. So that's what we have it with there. Uh, a few more things I want to ask you again, because. Again, I, I so enjoyed our time, and you were so nice to me when I got to Channel 4. And by the way, my first day at Channel 4, uh, the boss who hired me got fired. Yeah. So that was. And Little backstory. Remember, I kept insisting that he look at your tapes. Yes, you did. And he kept telling me, no, 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 no. And I kept insisting and insisting because they were on this search. And I'll never forget when he walked in and said, boy, this guy's really good. I was, thank you. <laughs> right. And I think you were hired quickly. It after. was exactly yeah. right. So I owe you 99. No, not that you owe me, but I'm just saying. You were right. People, when you recognize someone that's really good and you know that there's a, a niche they could fill, I mean, listen, 
you know, or at least look at the guy's tape. And he knew immediately once he looked at him, yes, you're right. So well, Rudy, so, Rudy called me to get your cell phone number. Mm -hmm. And we were doing the, the show together, right. radio yep. show together. And I said, why didn't you call him to get me? <laughs> <laughs> so I reached out. So, yeah, so thank you. So that that kind of catapulted me to where I am now. So for the greatest great thing. Blame her. <laughs> the greatest thing about the early WSM execs, because I've done a lot of work on the history. I'm fascinated with the history of early broadcasting, and especially this station we worked for for so many years. The early people had a great um, sense for casting, making a cast of characters. They didn't have all the same, right? They had, they had a professorial type. They had a funny guy. They had a person that knew, you know, all the trivia of the neighborhood. Bill Hall. Bill Hall, Fishing. the folksy, normal, yeah. you know, every man. Um, they didn't care if he had a pocket square, right? Could you imagine Bill Hall in a pocket with a pocket square or and shiny shoes? Degree. Or a degree, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So they were casting a great show full of characters. Not to say that the journalism wasn't top notch and that, you know, that the people weren't getting good information, but it, they were getting it from people that they enjoyed watching and inviting into the house. I want to ask you this. Um, when Dan took off, and I didn't know Dan well. We'd met at a few things together. We did the National Ballet Nutcracker together. Oh, right. What's her name? Mother something? Mother Ginger, yeah. Yeah, he, he had hot sweats about doing that. <laughs> he came with me one time and said, hey, hot, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can get us out of this. And we just laughed about that. <laughs> when he left to go do the Pat Sajak show, you had been there five years or so. What was that like? Were you happy for him? No, no, we were sad. We were all sad, and I was really sad because we were kicking it off. I mean, we really yes. had a great relationship. I mean, if I moved my pinky finger, he'd go, what? You know, we had this, like, <laughs> telepathy, like, you know. But he and Sajak had made a pact where if I'm ever Johnny Carson, you're going to be my Ed McMahon. Well, it happened, but the funny thing was Sajak was in the Johnny Carson seat and Miller was in the Ed McMahon. And I, I still say to this day, if they had been flipped, this thing might have taken off because Miller was a better interviewer. Sorry, Pat, I like you, but Miller was a much better interviewer. And Sajak was a better smartass. So, you know, if they ever want me to cast the show in the future. <laughs> but we all sat, we went downstairs and we watched then on the biggest screen we could, the premiere of the show. And Miller was also the announcer, a la Ed McMahon. So mm -hmm. it was really it was so exciting to hear his voice on CBS. But then we pretty quickly thought, eh, this ain't going to fly. <laughs> but Miller was never bitter because he got like three years on the beach paid in full when they canceled it. And he used to tell me, you know what they do at CBS? They put out your socks. They put out your underwear. They put out your tie. And I was like, yeah, it ain't happening here. <laughs> <laughs> They'll put something out of yeah. yourself. Exactly. <laughs> out there as the well. Pink slip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, thank you for this. I, I mean, I, I know I, I think the world of you and you're always so kind and genuine uh, to me at Channel Four, and you were really a big help for getting because I was nervous and things were happening well, over there, and so you were great. So. I'm a big fan, Joe. I mean, you've always been who you are, and that's why you're successful. Thank you. It, to this day, and Greg, I've heard your voice. It's nice to finally come face to face, and well, I think you guys are onto something here. The official six one five. Yeah, and where is the fountain of youth, and where have you found it? Do you? <laughs> am I, I, I wish. I, mean, I wish. You look the same. You know what? The, you fount do. the Fountain of Youth is my late parents' gene pool. 
Um, I literally, I look so scary like my mother now that I frighten cousins that haven't really? seen Ooh, me when I, I walk in the room. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, and she looked great when she left us. I, I hope I live a little longer, but. <laughs> you can just say I started when I was five. It went true. So, there you go. <laughs> but thank you for yeah, that. You do. You look great. Oh, Dimitri Aldemus, thank you so much. That's the official 615 podcast brought to you by Wilson County, Hyundai, and Greg. Uh, another home run. No thanks to us. Oh, uh, Dimitri Aldemus. <laughs> just uh, amazing. Also want to thank, uh, Todd Roterbell, the folks here at Kitchen Notes, Omni Nashville Hotel. Be checking the website. They're going to have updated schedules for all of their stuff here. Macara, Bob's Steak and Chop House, Bar Lines, and Kitchen Notes uh, coming out on Monday in the new year. So we appreciate them giving us our, our little corner. People come by and look, you know, look, it's like, uh, what is it? The Today Show. Today right? Show. Yeah, yeah, but ours are homeless people. No, anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. And we'll be back. Happy New Year to everybody. See you next week.